Good morning, church family. Anybody make lunch plans today? Forget it. Not only are we going to do one chapter, we're going to do more than a chapter. So get ready. We're going to be reading out of John um, chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 31, if you want to join me there. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other, who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. No one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arithmia, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the, it was because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, where it was still dark, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. As she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in in white, standing where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad, and they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he had breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If I forgive, if you forgive the sins of many, of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus could, came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put your hand here and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Holy God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come to you, Lord, giving thanks for the word that you left to us, Lord, the, the guide to get to know you. Lord, we just come here, we seek to honor you, we seek to to know you more. Lord, we just ask that you open our eyes and open our hearts. And Lord, just give us the message that you have for us today. Lord, I ask for blessing on Jackie as he comes forth, Lord, that he just speaks through the Holy Spirit. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, deacons have a pool. We'll see. I don't know who's got the over and under on it, but as we begin, you remember last time we were together, we saw Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, die on the cross. His final words, uh, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, if we take a look at the scripture has for us this morning, it says, now, since it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies wouldn't remain, they asked, they come to, uh, the Jews asked Pilate that they would break their legs. Now, someone could live for hours, hours, days, even in the crucifixion. It's a slow, uh, slow death. You, you die, um, <clears throat> over time, many times just from exposure. And uh, so they break their legs. When they break their legs, the, the men on the cross can no longer breathe. 
so because they cannot breathe, they, they will die there on the cross. And so the Roman soldiers go down. And as the Roman soldiers go down to break their legs, says in verse 32, So the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first thief, and then the other who had been crucified with him, so the two thieves on either side. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he, had already, he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Uh, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And there came out blood and water. And he who saw it also bore witness. His testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. So we know that the eyewitness account of the death of Christ. There have been a bunch of, of attempts throughout time to say that Jesus Christ didn't really die. He swooned and then he revived in the tomb and and walked away somehow. And uh, so it's important that we recognize in the eyewitness account what they're describing is a dead man on the cross. Roman soldiers know what a dead man is. Uh, most of you do too, if you saw one. Especially one like Jesus as he hung on the cross. Scripture tells us in verse 36, these things took place so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Meaning, these are prophetic these are prophetic. Listen, not one of his bones will be broken. Now there is a prophecy about this and there are illustrations. Jesus Christ as our sin sacrifice is an example of the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 46 it says, And it shall be eaten in one house and you will not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break not one of its bones. Not one of the bones of the Passover lamb was to be broken. Numbers 9, 12. They shall leave none of it until morning. So the whole meal was to be eaten then. Nor break any of its bones. According to all the statutes for the Passover, they shall keep it. Psalm 34, verse 20 says, He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Speaking prophetically of the Messiah. And I want you to understand why this is important. What was the form of capital punishment for the Jew? Stoning. So if you were stoned, you're put to death, karat, cut off. You were stoned, your bones would be broken. That's part of the process of being stoned. It's brutal. And so this is normal. But scripture, scripture talks about Messiah being pierced. Not stoned. It talks about Messiah being cut off, but it's, it speaks of it hundreds of years before crucifixion existed as the way Messiah would be cut off, according to Daniel chapter 9. He would be cut off. The anointed one would be cut off, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. Isaiah 53 would declare that with us as well. Zechariah 12.10 speaks of how he would be pierced. In verse 37 of John 19, and again, the scripture says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. What was the capital punishment? Stoning, right? But, so why would they look upon him who they have pierced? Piercing wasn't part of how the Jews would put someone to death. In Zechariah 12, 10, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy 
so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. By the way, Zechariah 12.10, Yahweh is speaking. When they look on me whom they have pierced. The father has never been pierced. Who was pierced? The son, right? Yeah. They will look on me, on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. The day when national Israel recognizes her Messiah. So this <clears throat> speaks of piercing. He's pierced. Now his hands and feet were nailed to a cross and his side was what? Pierced with a sword or with a spear. And blood and water came out, the symbols of death, puncturing the sack around the heart. He's not coming back. He is dead upon the cross. And so scripture would tell us in verse 38 that after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, does something that means he will never be a secret disciple again. You think nobody's watching this? All eyes are watching this. Well, what about the Sanhedrin? The 70 of the Sanhedrin, you think they all just went home? You think they want to make sure the deal's done? And here, when he's dead and should have been just cast out like the criminals, you don't think they buried them, do you? That's what the potter's field is for. They just throw the carcasses out in the trash. Joseph Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, but secretly for fear of the Jews, went before Pilate and asked that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. They want the bodies down. They want them put away for the Passover. They don't want any sign of that you remember the Sanhedrin they don't want to go into where Pilate is because if they go into where Pilate is because Pilate has uh, um, is is considered ceremonially unclean for Passover they don't want to they don't want to go in there and be a part of that so they don't want to do that but here you have a man who is part of the Sanhedrin part of the Pharisees who doesn't care who is about to prior to uh, Passover Take a dead body off a cross. And he's going to wash him. And he's going to wrap him. Which means he's ceremonially unclean. Touching a dead body is a, a, was something that people did. Obviously, those when you loved someone in your family who had died, you washed them, you wrapped them, and you laid them to rest, and it didn't matter what else was going on. For Joseph of Arimathea, he's doing, this is such an incredible sign, both of he and Nicodemus, to all the people that are watching, as two men in the, in the higher part of society, two wealthy men, are going to be the guys who are taking the body of Jesus down and washing him and wrapping him and laying him to rest. Because all his disciples were where? They were scattered. For what? Fear of the Jews. Is that what it says? 
Folks, there are days coming where the fear of man for you and I is going to be the great separator. There are days coming when we will have to understand, I think, the, the boldness of Joseph of Arimathea or of Nicodemus to stand up in the midst of a bunch of people who were just shouting at him, calling him names, sticking out their tongue, spitting on him, all the things that were, those were the people who were still around the cross. To stand up amidst that, walk through the parted crowd. They all know who you are. They know where you live. They know everything about you. And walk up and take the body of Christ off a cross. There are no secrets no more. In the United States of America, we have grown complacent and empathetic about our stand for Christ. We have chosen silence when we should have chosen to make noise. And we stayed back, perhaps, for fear of the Jews. And we think that eventually there will be peace. But Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. John would write in 1 John, I want to say 1 John, around chapter 5, that this is he who has overcome the Jews, even we who believe. This is he who has overcome the world, sorry. He who has overcome the world, even we who have believed. By faith, we become what the Bible describes as overcomers. Every letter in the book of Revelation to the seven churches ends with that phrase, now to the overcomer, now to the overcomer, now to the overcomer. The days for us to be standing like these men have come. If you have friends that don't know you're a believer, shame on you. We want to be those who will pass through the crowd shouting their derision upon our Lord and we clean him and we prepare his body and we take him off the cross of their scorn because he is our Lord. Isaiah 53.9 says, They made his grave with the wicked. He died with two thieves, right? But with the rich at his death. There are several prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his death, burial, and resurrection. Several prophecies that he fulfilled. And of these prophecies that he fulfilled, there are many that he had no control over, like where he's buried. Right? Is it his disciples burying him? No. Two secret disciples. One that all we know of is he talked to Jesus one time. The other one we never know of when he talked. What control did Jesus have over being laid in a rich man's tomb? 
None. If you take the prophecies of Christ that he had no control over, the odds of one man fulfilling all of those prophecies is ridiculous. I'll give you an illustration. It would be covering the state of Texas one foot deep with silver dollars. Taking one silver dollar and painting it red. Blindfolding someone, walking them to the border of Texas and telling them, as you're walking across Texas through one foot deep silver coins, you may stop and pick up one. The chances of one man fulfilling those prophecies are equal to the man walking blindfolded across Texas in a foot deep of silver coins, reaching down and picking up the red one. Is not a small matter that Jesus Christ is going to be laid in a rich man's tomb. There are eight prophecies Uh, usually put together in the list that he had no control over. Where he would be born. Did you guys pick that? I I didn't get any say in that. Or what family he'd be born in. Did you get any say in that? I might have picked different, you know, if I knew there were choices. There are several prophecies Jesus could not have made. You hear people say all the time, well, he just knew what the prophecies were, so he made them take place. Yeah, well, you can't make where you're born, who your family is, where you were buried. You don't have, you don't have that. Christ fulfilled the prophecy because he is who the Scripture declares him to be from the beginning of Genesis. He is the light of the world who came to the darkness And the darkness could not extinguish the light. It never has. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so they take him and they wrap him and they clothe him. Nicodemus also earlier who came to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds in weight. And they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. They fulfilled it all. And they didn't care about what their Passover meal meant. That meant they missed it. They couldn't be a part of it. Which is a big deal for them. But you know why these two guys didn't care? Because what they were doing in preparing the burial of Christ was participating in a Passover meal. Because every Passover they ever participated in pointed to Jesus. I shared today, when we take communion, when we read the story, it just says, so Jesus took the bread and he broke it. You know, that's the bread out of the unity. That's called the afikoman, that which comes later. In the Passover meal, it happens that there is a linen that has three pieces of matzah in it. And if you were to ask the Jews over the thousand years of history that they took Passover, and you said, what do those three pieces mean? They say, I don't know. But what do you do in the meal? Well, at a certain point in the meal, you take the middle piece. Not the first piece or the last piece. The middle piece. You pull it out of the unity. Three in one. Interesting, right? Uh, And then you break the middle one. And then you you put the broken piece in. You take the other one and you wrap it in linen. 
and you bury it. You give it to someone to hide. And at the end of the meal, when you come to the end of the meal, you come to before the cup of redemption, you would send a child to go find it and bring it out. And then they would take that piece of bread and they would pass it around the family and each one would break off a piece. And they would take that bread and then they would drink that cup, the cup of redemption. They were participating in communion before there ever was a communion. And all of it pointed to Christ. Every bit. And so you have these two guys who, who are thinking, well, we're ceremonially unclean. We've touched a dead body. We've wrapped a dead body. We've, there's, there's no way that you, had, you would go through the process to become clean. You would not participate. But what you just were witness to over the last several hours was the truth of what the Passover was all about. And I think for them, once they understood, once, you know, maybe a light dawned for them. Certainly the light's going to dawn for the disciples. When the light dawned for them, they're like, yeah, this is my, this is the crossroad. Everybody, I think people, men and women have multiple crossroads in your life. Opportunities to stand. Opportunities to be known, opportunities to choose a side, to, to stand up when it matters, when the world is watching and say, no, I'm with him. And this was theirs. And they stood and they laid him to rest and they went home. Now, they don't know the rest of the story. The rest of the story occurs while it is still dark. There is a beautiful harmony, and I I won't have time to do it. I don't think I'll have time to do it. If I do it, somebody's going to win the pool that said I wasn't going to get into chapter 20. Um, There's a beautiful harmony, and I just want you guys to understand, when we look at the, the, the Gospels are broken down into the synoptics and John. The synoptics are basically uh, uh, similar views going through a chronology of the life of, of Christ. John's not that. John has got a purpose, right? He said, we, we read at the end of chapter 20, look, these things I've written, a lot of other things Jesus did, but these things I've written that you would believe that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. So as we look at all the gospels and we look at what happened on resurrection morning, there is a perfect harmony that lays it all out. So if you read them all, if you go home even today and you read all the resurrection accounts, you'll say, well, there's, there's differences. What's going on with the differences? And so there's a beautiful harmony of that. You see, the women all leave, but the disciples are not all in one place. The disciples don't gather together till later. The women all leave while it is yet dark. As they get to the tomb, they recognize, remember as they're on their way to the tomb, who's going to roll away the stone? They get there and they recognize the stone is rolled away, something's up. And Mary Magdalene turns around and runs back to find Peter and John. All the disciples are not in the upper room yet, all gathered together. They're not all in one place. They're scattered all over, hiding in whatever hidey hole they have. 
She left from Bethany with the other women. She comes back. She finds Peter and John. Peter and John and Mary run in. Peter and John go inside. They, they have the things we'll read in a moment. Then Peter and John leave. And then Mary's left. Peter and John get to the tomb long before Mary because two men running as fast as they can are always going to outrun a woman unless she's an Olympic athlete. Especially if you got an older guy and a younger guy and they're racing over who's king. Yeah, I promise. And so Mary's going to come later. And then after they've left, Mary, she's going to have her experience with Christ. Meanwhile, the women that Mary left, they had one, right? They went in. They saw angels in the tomb. Mary didn't go in right then. She came back and got Peter and John. They go in and see those, but they're kind of freaked out. And they initially leave, and they're not talking to anybody. They're, they're like you would be if something like this happened to you. And so prior to Jesus appearing to, to Mary... You have the charge to the women to go to tell the disciples. And so they begin to find the disciples where they're at. This is what gathers the disciples. Because they're spread out. And every time they go to tell the story, they, men do what they do. They don't believe it. What are you talking about? You know, and so because of the stories, the men start to do a, they start to come together where they're ultimately going to find themselves together in one place where Jesus is going to come to them. And it's not just the 12, it's the extended uh, disciples. This is not just what they would call the 12 with the exception of Judas, right? This is, uh, uh, this is all the disciples that we'll see in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. There's, there's probably 100 people there. So they're, they're all coming and they're starting to hear things. You got the guys to Emmaus, right? They, they interact with Christ, you remember? And they, they come back and they start telling stories. And so the men are all gathered and they don't believe yet and they don't understand what's going on. And so they're gathered together hearing all of these things. They hear from Peter, they hear from John, somewhere in the midst of it all. Peter was visited by Christ. And so they're saying all these things and the men are like, I don't know, I don't know what we're supposed to think about this. What's going on? And then, Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace be unto you. Everything laid out in those gospels harmonizes. Everything there fits. Just got to back up a little bit and take a look at what God is, is orchestrating and how God is pulling it together. So John is going to lay out for us his part of that, Mary Magdalene, she sees the stone rolled away. Verse 1, verse 2, she ran to Simon and Peter, the other disciple, as John, the one whom Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord and we don't know where. So <clears throat> Peter went out with the other disciple going toward the tomb, both of them running together. But the other disciple outran Peter. I've told you, this is, men cannot keep a record of anything without the I beat you put in there somewhere. So John is saying, just, just so for all time, for the next 2,000 years, everyone will know, I beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So John stands outside. Then Simon Peter comes, following him. He barrels into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in its place. Why does that matter? Because if you stole the body of Jesus, you're not folding anything. If someone broke into your house and robbed you, 
you'll know immediately when you open the door and come home because your house is wrecked. It's not like, you know what? Somebody robbed me the other day and they folded my laundry. (laughs) That does not happen. That does not happen. It matters because nobody stole the body. The body, Jesus rose. He folded that napkin. He laid it there. The face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the other linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and he believed. But he doesn't really know what he believes yet. But he believes something happened, right? Something has happened. And they're all confused. Now, you and I, we know the end from the beginning. So we're like, oh, come on, guys. Somebody's knocking. You should let them in. The, the idea that they can't quite reconcile all, the, all those things together. But if I look into, well, if I look into my life at times where God has moved miraculously in my life, I didn't always know what was going on. But at the end, I could look back and I could see all the fingerprints. So later on, when I tell you the story, it's like, man, and then God did this and then God did this. Right. But at the time, I was a little more confused than that. So there's still some confusion going on for as yet. They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, even though Jesus told them three times. Three times, they still didn't hear him. Three times, I'm going to die, and I'll be buried, and I will rise again. But they didn't hear it. I know that's true because I had children. And I've told my children things thousands of times. And I will still say it to them, and they'll say, Dad, why have you never told me that before? I I have said this many times, and I will probably still say it many times yet. But listen, the scripture laid these things out for us. And I just want you to to see, uh, I just want you to see it. So in Psalm 16, beginning at verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Okay, I want you to understand that. You will not leave my body in the grave. Look beyond the cultural words. Sheol is the word for the grave, the abode of the dead, and the soul is your, is your life. You will not leave my life in the grave. Listen. Or let your holy one, which is a phrase about the anointed one. There's a way to say anointed one. You can say anointed one, holy one, Christ in the Greek which means anointed one, or Messiah, which means anointed one. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. In the same sentence when he says, you're not going to leave me in the grave, and you will not let your Holy One, the Messiah, see corruption. 
Corruption was when the body decayed in the grave. You will not allow the Messiah, who, according to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, is going to be cut out, put to death, but not for his own sins. And not through stoning, right? We already saw that. He was pierced. So he's, he, he, but he's not going to see corruption. His body will not decay. You remember in the Gospel of John, we read about Lazarus. Lazarus was in the tomb how long? Four days. And when he came to the tomb and he got up to it, he said, roll the stone away. And you remember what they said to him? So by day four, corruption was already present. So according to the scriptures, the Messiah would die and would rise before corruption. If corruption's on day four, then he had to arise before day four. Now, more light was given, right? No sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the bowels, in the grave, in the bowels of the earth. And he rose again, according to the scripture. Now, they didn't understand all this. They're going to. You know how I know they're going to? The next section I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, yes, that Peter who denied Christ three times, we still got more to talk about Peter, that Peter, he's going to stand before a crowd that you can't even imagine, a humongous crowd at Pentecost, he's going to begin to preach. Now you need to understand, this is what preaching looks like now, but in the old days, preaching was heralding, and it happened on a street corner. It happened wherever you were. And you just began to shout out the good news, whatever was going on. There might be a sale for bacon and a herald, a preacher, would be standing out there and he'd be shouting, sale for bacon. Well, probably not in Israel, but, <laughs> but let's go with bread. We'll go with bread. So he's saying, sale, the bread's on sale, bread's on sale. That was a herald. And so here Peter is heralding. The other disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are speaking in tongues. We've, we've seen this before as we've gone through our study in the book of Acts, and everyone's hearing them, right? In their languages, multiple languages are being represented as the gospel is going forward. Then this Peter, who didn't know anything a little while ago, he's going to say this, men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, 
I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul. We've heard this just recently, haven't we? You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. This is Peter on the day of Pentecost. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is still with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ for he was not abandoned to Hades, to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all martus. We are all witnesses. We all saw it. We all saw him, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when you have time, look at it. It's a list of all those who saw the resurrected Christ. He's saying, we've all seen him. You're standing in the same place where he was condemned and where he was hung up. And you're, you're, years have not passed. A little more than a month. And here they are gathered. He says, we are witnesses. We saw the risen Lord. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord, this is David speaking, the Lord said to my Lord, my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is a conversation between the Ancient of Days and one like the Son of Man who ascends before him in the book of Daniel. David writes about it in Psalm 110. When Jesus ascends after the crucifixion, after the time he spent, that his disciples see him, after all the different stories take place, when he ascends to the Father, you can read about it in the book of Daniel. And he comes before the Father and the Ancient of Days, Yahweh the Father, he says, sit on my throne until your enemies are your footstool. Where is the kingdom of Christ going to be? It's going to be here. There will be a day. Jesus will return. Amen? He will Return. He is seated at the right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. 
that the Father has made the Son Kyrios, Lord. That's the exact same word used for Yahweh. Kyrios. He has made him Lord. He has a, Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, how much authority has been given to me? He didn't say, a little authority has been given to me. Go therefore. Did he? He didn't say, some authority has been given to me. What did he say? All authority. All authority. What did he say in John chapter 5? The Father has committed all judgment into the hands of the Son. He's the judge. We'll see it next week when we finish chapter 20. We'll see it when we get to the part in chapter 20 where we're seeing the, the proclamation of the forgiveness of sin or the withholding of forgiveness. We'll, we'll discuss that when we get to it, but it's a part of this concept of the authority that Christ has. How are you forgiven? Your sins are forgiven when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When by faith you are justified, declared by the Father righteous because of the Son. That is when that occurs. And if that does not occur, you are still in your sin. There is only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Only one. Jesus is the way. Now, it says in verse 37, Now, when they heard these things, I'm still in Acts 2, this is how you know you're not going to finish John 20. <laughs> now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do? What do we do? We killed the Messiah? It was God's plan, but we did it. What do we do? And so Peter said to them, this is still what you do today. Repent. That means you change your direction and your love for the world, and you put your direction and love to Christ. I repent. I will confess my sins from now till the day I die. But the repentance he's talking about is turning from self or from the world or from other gods or whatever else and turning to Christ. I change my direction and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of sins. Why is, are we baptized? We're not baptized to have our sins forgiven. We're baptized because our sins are forgiven. Because we have entered into Christ. The Bible says there's one baptism. How does that one baptism occur? That one baptism occurs when I profess, when I put my when I confess with my lips the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the scripture says, I will be saved. When that occurs, I have been forgiven. And because I have been forgiven, I will be baptized so that everyone else can bear witness that my old life has passed away as I go below the water and I am raised 
to new life by the power of Jesus Christ. So let every one of you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us. Everyone whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Look, I know that as the disciples are learning, as they're growing, as they're recognizing what's happening, as they're recognizing the power of the resurrection, I know that they don't understand at the time when we're reading, but I know that they will understand at the time that Peter shares the message in Acts chapter 2. And he's going to refer to that same scripture that I referred you to in Psalm 16. And he's going to say, look, David talked about it. Because the scripture tells us that one of the things Jesus does for his disciples is he opens their eyes to comprehend the word. Because he is the word. No, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, we know it, right? He gives the greatest commentary on the word of God. And so they will learn and so they will come to understand what's going on. And we will come to understand what happens in the rest of chapter 20 next week. Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I just, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit. I want to thank you, Father, that you called me. I want to thank you for opening my eyes and my heart that I could see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ, my great God and Savior. And I pray, God, for any here today that don't know you. I pray, God, that you would grant unto them repentance. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes. I pray, God, that you would open their understanding. Pray, Lord, that they would come to know with all the saints what is the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Father, I thank you for power that you give us. For you declared, I will not leave you orphans. I have a helper 
man, it, it just brings us all the way back to, to creation. And you have Adam walking through all of creation, but he finds no helper comparable to him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. And he brought forth from his rib a woman and he brought her to the man. He brought a helper comparable to him. And so in the union of husband and wife, we see the beginning picture of, of the triune God, the reflection of God within marriage. But that's made perfect when someone comes to faith in Christ and he gives the Holy Spirit a helper comparable to him. For the power to be and to do is not within me but it is within him. I will not leave you orphans. I will give you what you need. For Lord, we stand in days when the world, the hatred of the world toward the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is becoming more and more furious. And either we will grow more and more complacent and empathetic and will fade into the oblivion of Laodicea. Or we will stand. Recognize the sufficiency of your word, the truth that you have declared that we will trust in you and we will stand and we will reach out every day that is called day until we see your face and we hear well done good and faithful servant enter into your master's rest his happiness his joy God, I just pray that you would empower us. Even the message Phil brought last week, walking in power, not in complacency or empathy, empowered by the Spirit to be what Christ has called us to be. As we study the resurrection, Lord, may we see the light dawn in men's lives. May we see the distinction between a life without power and a life with power. And God, may we then follow the example and the teaching that you're laying out before us. And may you be glorified, Lord God Almighty, when we stand your bride together unified with our eyes looking into your eyes as Paul declared that there is a crown of rejoicing that is laid up for him but not for him only but to all who have loved his appearing God move in this place empower us equip us to do the work you're calling us to. In these days, may we be men and women of answers. 
conviction, strength, boldness, all empowered by your spirit. And may you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's have our prayer team come up. If you need prayer in this place for anything, it could be for anything, and you just want agreement this morning, um, just allow some of our prayer team to pray over you. We're going to sing one more chorus, and then uh, we're going to go ahead and pray us out. So let's go ahead and sing this again. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you so much for your presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless your body today. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would empower them. I pray, God, for your blessings. We pray, God, that you'd say that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and be gracious to them and bless them and give them your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, be blessed. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is.